Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. It is Thursday late afternoon, August, uh, I think it's like the 23rd. <laughs> I'm not even sure. Anyway, uh, I think it's about the 23rd. Anyway, this is your host, Jim Ventura. If you're catching the show live or uh, by archive, uh, again, welcome uh, to my show. Uh, lately, I've been doing about one show a month. Um, and I kind of go back and forth with that. Sometimes I do two when I do astrology update shows. Haven't done one of those in a little bit, but uh, looking into doing that again. I've got uh, just been busy. So uh, anyway, this is our a little late to the party uh, month uh, column read show. Uh, I sent my monthly snake oil column out uh, early this month of August, and finally getting to do a radio show on it. Again, just timing-wise, there's been a lot that has kind of thrown me off, off, off my normal game, but I'm back on it again. A lot of that is uh, some of the retrograde influences we've had in the last few weeks. I may talk a little bit about that on the show uh, if we have some time. It is only a 45-minute show. Uh, I'm having some trouble getting into the chat room. I think i got to update my Flash player. So, um, And also, I will not be taking live calls for today's show. Uh, just if you don't have a lot of time, I've got to get to the column and do some explaining about that in detail. Typically take a lot of calls during astrology update show. So uh, all that being said, uh, I am a professional astrologer and navigational consultant. My expertise is in uh, astrology and numerology as well as uh, tarot cards and rune stones and angel cards and uh, animal totems, a lot of different types of, of sessions that I am uh, that I offer. Uh, if you're interested in a personal session, uh, feel free to go to my website at jimventura.com, and uh, you can catch information about in office for here in Phoenix or uh, phone sessions for for all over the country. Uh, I've even done a few in Australia, believe it or not, uh, Canada, but. Uh, and large, uh, you can do sessions by phone. So again, all that info, check that out on jimventura.com. Uh, I do do a somewhat monthly column called Snake Oil. If you're not already receiving that, email me at venturasage at yahoo.com. I follow all the info on this page, by the way, or on my website. So you can get the free monthly column and send your birth date with that request because I do a monthly, I mean a yearly for each sign, a birthday promotional mailer for a heavily discounted session. If you are on that invite list, uh, you will get that uh, as well. Okay, so this is our monthly uh, column show, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this month's column uh, in case you haven't heard it already or read it, so to speak. Uh, that way we can talk a little bit more about it. Uh, again, I will try to um, uh, talk a little bit about some of the astrological influences that we've encountered and one that we are still encountering, or few we're still encountering until even the end of this month that I think is significant to discuss. But let's first start off by um, this live column read, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, like I said, we'll see if we can squeeze some time in to talk about some of this uh, retrograde stuff we have been dealing with. Okay, so this uh, August column was called Models of Wisdom. And, uh, okay, so here we go. The search to find the best aspects of humanity in the world around us and potentially in ourselves is part of human development, ninth house in astrology. It is natural for, natural for us to look to role models for guidance about where we should 
best channel our energies and seek out behavior patterns others might admire about us. The search for what is best in human beings and what we are meant to do often surfaces in our early teens. When we're very young, models of correct behavior are often taught to us by the influences of church, of parents, caretakers, and from our teachers at school. Personally, I remember when it began to really matter to me and I began the search for what was truly virtuous behavior to model. My early years in Catholic school, first through eighth grade, were actually some beneficial familial and religious imprints. I never questioned the wisdom and value of the teachings of Jesus. He was truly a hero by way of compassion and consistency in his message. Uh, The contradictions I saw among some of my teachers, priests, nuns, and the adults around me uh, were often very un-Christ-like, though. Well, I really tried to find it in Catholicism, especially to please my mother. Uh, The path of religion was simply not pulling at me. I wanted to see the heroic around me and to find it in myself. The world of superheroes and comic books around the age of 13 temporarily filled that need. I studied, collected, and mildly obsessed in that world. I was fascinated by the idea that people could be both human and heroic at the very same time. When I was 17, the pull to metaphysical studies moved me in another, even more profound direction. I've been on that evolving path for over 35 years now. We are naturally wired to seek and sometimes worship models of what is best in human beings. We look to get inspired and even excited by the best in what is possible in human achievement. We may be inspired by members of the military and their willingness to sacrifice for their countries. We can see the clear virtue in firemen or police officers for their notable bravery. Bravery. We acknowledge the wisdom of great writers, teachers, brilliant scientists, and doctors for their achievements. We can look to sports heroes for their ability to excel and push the human body farther than before. We see beauty and inspirations from models and actors who motivate us with the power of beauty and affability. We may be inspired by the creative achievements of musicians and artists who trigger new awareness to the power of their unique creative vision. These professions and many others all have merit, especially when they motivate us and remind us what is possible. Oddly, it was when I first studied Mahjong cards as an oracle for divination at about the age of 30 when I saw the simplicity of what could be seen as heroic behavior for everyone to potentially model. There are eight guardians or symbols represented in the cards. Four of them are connected with the seasons themselves and what they have to teach us. The other four are people in the most simple and even common professions. The fishermen. The fisherman's philosophy connected to the season of the spring and was often noted as simple common sense. The ability to cast a line with bait and patiently wait for the bite of a fish was considered to be wise. Enjoying the process itself of catching fish showed the benefits of being present. A similar idea is marked by Druid teachings about the wisdom of the totem of Crane, an animal adept at patiently waiting for the sight of a fish before taking its prey. The idea of group management of time and the use of diplomacy with others also comes into play with the fishermen. Working successfully with others in the process could lead to a good catch to be shared by all. We see this idea portrayed with groups of people working together on a fishing boat. There are connections with this symbol representing the possibility of a good marriage in Mahjong oracle card readings. Next, the woodcutter. 
the energy of the season of summer, metal, the axe, fire, and wood were noted as a wise combination of elements coming together to perform tasks. Fire shows vitality, drive, ambition, and, the holding, and holding the balance of power in any conflict. The ability to hack away toward goals shows perseverance and the benefit of hard work. The woodcutter was associated with new endeavors and the tools needed to remain inspired while chopping away at any conflicts that might arise in the process. The woodcutter would not be dismayed by any obstacles. There are connotations with this symbol representing fertility in Mahjong oracle readings. The farmer. This symbol was an earthy one. It is connected with maturity, autumn, and physical activity. The farmer not only understands the value of hard work and physical labor, but also timing. Difficulties encountered can be overcome by patience and understanding cycles and seasons. The farmer was noted for working with all the elements and showing perseverance in the process of towing the fields, planting the seed, watering and cultivating with care to create the inevitable harvest. The connection to the land itself and the nurturing energy of the soil made the hard work required work energy spent. There are connotations with the farmer and the potential for promotion in Mahjong Oracle readings. The scholar. This symbol is connected to the season of winter during a time when little could be successfully achieved outdoors. Farming, hunting, and building must wait for better weather. A cultured mind would take advantage of this and study. It suggests achievement through counseling, education, literacy, speech, and the written word. The process of study to increase or dispense knowledge was a sign of notable wisdom and potential success. There are connotations to great reserves of energy when knowledge is stored and waiting for the right time for appropriate dis dissemination in a Mahjan oracle reading. There's a good chance many of the people we specifically admire use some of these attributes to get where they are. Evocative images of all these archetypes often appear in the movies, books, and television, illustrating the robust woodcutter, moral effort of the farmer, the patience of the fisherman, and the smarts of the scholar. For a long time in the political realm, both Democrats and Republicans have seized on the idea that their party is specifically noted to be made up of these types of, quote, good people. All of these symbols have a common thread of patience and perseverance that would be hard to dispute as definitive aspects of wisdom. Not everyone is meant to be famous or even notable in the eyes of society, nor does everyone even want to. Still, we can all be virtuous, and these four guardians are clear totems that show attributes that are available to all. We may not have to light up the entire world, but we can influence the people on a corner of the universe, and that is a very heroic thing to do. Okay, so I wrote this column back in, in probably about mid-July, and it's sort of interesting to note that I would like to comment on this as a writer, that one of the things that I've noticed is... I have this sort of tendency, you know, and I've been a writer for, for a fairly long time. I mean, even going back to childhood, I, I would joke about this, that when I was in school, if there was a choice between an essay test and a multiple choice test, and I found out it was an essay test, I would be all happy because it was an essay test. Most of the people around me would be groaning and cringing. Meanwhile, I would be like, oh, essay test, easy. Just I kind of always had a knack for it. But over the years, I've, I've obviously become a better writer uh, through application. I have actually published a couple of books. 
uh, you can catch all that information on my heavy sales here. On my website, go to jimventure.com or Amazon, and you can catch any copies of my books uh, if you're interested. Um, and, and so that being said, you know, one of the things that, that I've caught about the idea of writing, especially noted over the years, is there are times when I kind of cook on a story for a while, and then when I sit down and I write it, it comes out really smooth. Um, those columns are, are great because they, they require less editing. I will still always do multiple edits over anything that I write, you know, anywhere from four to even sometimes seven uh, times I've re-edited uh, before I, you know, I go to print. But then I have a, an editor also, my sister, who uh, does a lot of the grammatical error, uh, editing for me. Because some of you just can't see that, that stuff um, yourself as clearly. But um, this particular column was one of those that really didn't just flow out of me. I had to kind of sit down, and I knew I wanted to write about that subject at some point. I hadn't really written it in my head so much. I really had to kind of sit down and, and sort of kind of make myself write this. Um, so it wasn't quite as smooth as, as initial again, as some of the pieces that just kind of come out of me. I, you know, I just wrote a column for that will be coming out in September called You Better Change That Attitude. And that was a perfect example of one that just poured out easy on the paper. I wrote it while I was sitting uh, waiting to get my oil changed uh, uh, for my car, hanging out, drinking a sip of the coffee, and just boom, 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 wrote that right out. And I've just finished editing that for, for my September-October column. Uh, this particular one, though, is a little bit more forced. And you know, looking at it, um, I, I am proud of that. I think I, I did a good job on it. Um, it was a little bit more of an information-based type of column. So there is something, you know, there are some variances uh, as a writer to understanding that process. You know, a lot of that can, can be seen in astrology as well, too, in terms of your wiring and the way you tend to do things. Um, you know, I have very easy aspects to Venus in my natal chart, so creative energy and, and, and things like that come fairly easy to me, uh, but I have Pluto in my you know, performance creativity house, so a lot of times things have to cook. And occasionally I go dry. Uh, honestly, not too often, because they've also got Mars there, so there's a little bit of a creative lunatic in that place. All of that in Virgo, by the way. Um, and if you know anything what I'm talking about, this isn't specifically an astrology show, so I may be drifting. Uh, depending, unless you, you get some of those things. Um, Again, another value to learning astrology. Hugely helpful in understanding your own astrology. Hugely helpful in understanding other people's astrology, especially people you are you know, uh, connected with intimately or, or friendship-wise. Um, definitely helps a lot with relating better to other people. Uh, lots of value in, in, in understanding astrology. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a variance that, that you can see with writing. So this was, again, a little bit more of a, a column I had worked up. Now, uh, I, I, uh, I love the idea of talking about models of wisdom um, because, yes, there is, you can even look at this from an astrological angle that we go through sort of a progression at different points in our development toward the different houses of life. Um, there are 12 houses in astrology, and you know, each house represents a different area of life. The, the ninth house is the house of philosophy, travel, higher education, um, you know, things, uh, uh, publishing, uh, 
you know, some element of public speaking may be applied into that area. But, you know, when we're younger, I mean, you're not really concerned about philosophy, travel, higher education when you're four, for the most part, obviously. Some of the first, second, third, fourth houses are much more significant in astrology to that development. But when we get to be 11, 12, 13, 14, different, you know, ranges for different people, you know, we do. We do want a philosophy. We do want an idea. We want to check in with ourselves for correct behavior. We want something, uh, a larger picture to understand. You know, the urge to travel becomes stronger. To meet other people of different cultures and ways of being as well and to learn from that. Again, not stuff you're going to see so much for most four- or five-year-olders, but certainly in the teen years, uh, this process can begin. So it's kind of one of the reasons why I've, I've often kind of joked about that that when you're trying to push religion or spirituality and philosophy at a six-year-old, they may be able to absorb a little bit of it, but really ultimately they don't give a crap because it's not really where their emotional developmental heads are at this particular, you know, at, at this particular stage. And, and I'm a great case in point because, again, I was in Catholic school and it was more dutiful what we did in school about going to religion class and going to church and things like that. It wasn't until I think I was maybe 11 or 12 or 13 that I began to really analyze uh, the, 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 what the priest was saying and possibly even want to understand maybe some of the Gospels and things of that nature that, were being, um, that we were being you know, taught or discussed. Now, on the flip side, I actually only did... Um, I only did... Uh, Catholic school from first to eighth grade, ninth to twelfth, I went to a public school. That was a trauma in itself. I won't get into, but uh, now, uh, <laughs> but uh, there was a there was a um, you know the, I, I kind of mentioned the piece. There was some good elements to Catholicism. It was kind of like being somewhat immersed into a family dynamic more so than what I observed in public school, and and there was some value to that. But again, early on, I was already not really turned on by religion, and I saw a lot of contradictions, so that kind of pushed me into other kind of areas of study and, and beginning to look at, at different processes. I think a lot of people who become kind of more spiritually or metaphysically driven are what I would call mature older souls. That would be point one that I would suggest, if you understand what that means. Uh, that could certainly be helpful. Um, the, you know, the other flip side of it, is you know everybody has a different path for uh, you know for that process and and you know and wh what's going to ultimately make you tick. Uh, I you know I studied a lot of like when I was 15 I was reading books on Bigfoot and UFOs and things like that and really Loch Ness monster and Bermuda triangles. Really excited about those more mysterious things. And then you know 16, 17. I kind of started moving a bit away from some of that and, and started really looking into more um, you know, metaphysical uh, things. And I began to read books on channeling and I started studying numerology. A year or two later, I began to study astrology. Um, so there was a little bit of a different road uh, that I, I took. Uh, but uh, definitely that search for the model of right behavior and, and good things was very much in my in my head, and I I mentioned this about the comic book um, world because I really I studied that pretty ad nauseum from I'd say from 15 or so until 
even about almost 20. Um, it was really a lot about that because that whole idea of the superhero, of, of being, you know, of having superpowers and, and, and being that good person who helps the world and, and all of those things. And, you know, anyone who's read comic books and things know that they're actually not simplistic. They are multi-layered and, and full of emotional drama and, and, and challenges and, and all kinds of things. Again, the realm of, of philosophy and, and the complications that can surface with it. But the metaphysical stuff really is what stuck, and, and that's what I ultimately stick, uh, kind of glommed onto. You know, the interesting thing about um, these, these characters that I described, these four guardians in, in Mahjong, of course, is that, again, I didn't really get to Mahjong until probably almost 30, maybe 29 or 30. Uh, you know, I always had this weird knack for, like, almost any type of oracle from a culture that I picked up, if I liked it and studied it, I would become really good at it. Um, just a weird anomaly quirk in, in my behavior. Um, you know, as a Sagittarius, I have a lot of Virgo so in my chart as well. So there is a kind of meticulous tendency to study that is common for people with strong Virgo influences. Um, I just think I've done it in other lifetimes, so there was certain familiarity. But so the Mahjong was actually really fun when I got it because it was much more of a, you know, a real true oracle in that sense in terms of prediction and showing patterns and seasons and behaviors. Uh, there's a while, a lot of my old, really older regulars that I worked with um, have actually had Mahjong card readings from me. I don't think, you know, I haven't, I've done one for myself recently, but um, I haven't, uh, I don't think I've done one for clients in probably five or six years. People typically don't request it. I don't sell it as hard. Uh, but it is an awesome um, session to do. Definitely really cool at, at multiple levels, uh, just like a lot of oracles are. But this whole thing about the four guardians, uh, to me, was always something that I very significantly kind of got in that sense. And, and it was really well put together in terms of descriptiveness when it came to um, you know, the way this is, is put together in Mahjong. So let me kind of mention a few of those in just a little bit more detail. So I started out by talking about the fishermen. And, yeah, it, it does make sense. You know, they're all connected to the seasons of uh, different seasons. Uh, fishermen of spring, woodcutter would be summer. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the farmer would be the fall. And uh, winter would be the scholar. So there's an element of that to consider. But, yeah, you know, we, we, I think as a culture, you know, for a lot of people, they can really enjoy fishing, just at a very pure level. But, yeah, there is definitely something to be considered for the patience of that entire process and the idea of, of making that catch. And, again, you see this on movies and television and, you know, the idea of men and, and potentially women also on a fishing boat, you know, working together as well, um, it is powerful. It does show the ability to work with others and to share that, that common theme. Uh, you know, it's one of those things I often tell people. I didn't grow up fishing. I mean, I, I, I grew up in, on, on Long Island in New York, and so I really didn't fish. But we did catch frogs, and we, we did do certainly some things with nature. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people in, in more rural areas or places connected with the river, or, or things like that. They, they fished when they were younger. They fished with their father. They, you know, they, they, they fished with their uncle. They, uh, they fished with their friends. Um, 
Yeah, there's a bonding element that came up with that. And and there was a connotation about you know, the patience, again, of course, of the fishermen, similar to what you see with Druid teachings when they talk about a crane. You know, a crane is seen as an animal that will stand for hours in the water before it take, it darts at its prey to catch a fish. So it doesn't jump at everything. It it, it, it has that patience to stand it, knowing when the right time it is is to, to take that to take that jump. So there is something about that that again is wise if applied to life. If you if you try every job, you know, everything like a lunatic, you know, you, you can become useless. You're scattering your energy all over the place in that sense, as opposed to understanding that wisdom of the fishermen and, and that, that philosophy that can stem from it. By the same token, if you jump over to a woodcutter, uh, another interesting uh, guardian to consider connected with the summer, um, you know, the imagery of, of the man holding uh, the axe metal of uh, the fire itself, uh, the wood, uh, were the idea of a combination of elements coming together to perform a task. The woodcutter chops away at, at, at the wood in that respect. And, uh, you know, again, there was associations with this about fertility. Um, the ability to be fertile, interestingly enough. And it, it does kind of make sense. If you watch a television or a movie, you know, whether it's a man or a woman chopping away at wood, um, you know, there is something about that that can feel fertile, you know, manly, strong <laughs> at one level, you know, providing the, the wood for the, for the, for the home, for the, for the hearth to, you know, to, to do that. There, there is a certain element of that that you just naturally almost connect in your psyche. And, and the idea of chopping away at something and not letting that, that element block you it is really very powerful in a way. Um, you know, I have joked about that, and maybe it's an element of having strong fire uh, in my chart as well, although probably heavier earth than I am fire, but my, I've definitely got some fire in my astrology chart. You know, I've often joked about that. Like, the more someone dares me or tells me I can't do something, um, it's almost like drawing a line in the sand for me that just pushes me harder uh, in that sense that I'm going to win just to sort of spite you in a way <laughs> in that respect. Like, there's just a, you tell me I can't do this? Oh, yeah, you want to see what I can do? And, I mean, there's an element of sort of that psychosis of fire in a good sense, which can turn into a crazy sense as well. But as I've gotten older, I, I still have that energy of that motivation. I just you know, the I told you so parts that would come later. Uh, I don't really do that. By that, I'm bored. I already had the motivation. You know, I've joked with some of my friends who are complaining about gaining weight. You know, all someone's got to do is, like, have a contest with me where, you know, a loser has to pay the other one 50 bucks or something, even meaningless. Whoever loses 10 pounds first, and you better believe there's no way in hell I'm losing that bet. <laughs> and that way, nothing's going to stop me when it comes to that element. And and there's a little bit of that that kind of woodcutter energy there too. That this is what has to be done, and you chop away at it, and and you accomplish the goal of the task. Uh, the 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 third guardian to discuss is the farmer connected with the autumn. Obviously, there's some connotations up in the tarot with, with the farmer card in some ways, where we see the hangman somewhat representing some of the symbolism. Um, but what you also find with the farmer as, as an archetype is that maturity, that ability to move through different stages, to understand the cycles and the seasons, uh, to know how to plant the seed, uh, you know, tow the field, how to move through a process in terms of patience in that respect as well, too. 
there we we still in this culture we value our farmers we we see it as a noble profession and and rightly so in that respect because there is about this that maturity to understand all these different elements and and timing and, and all of that so um this idea that in, in Mahjan the farmer was connected with promotion actually makes a lot of sense. You can even apply this idea to working situations. You know, for many, many years I was a waiter and a bartender as I, as I built my business, you know, in my 20s and even into my, uh, into my early 30s. And what I always had noted was a lot of times I would work in a job, I'd get a job in a restaurant, and my process was always kind of the same. I would work hard. I would fill in whenever they needed me to. I would do extra work to kind of put a good mark uh, for the owner and the people around me where they liked to work with me. I was very reliable. You know, I always had those, those, that disposition for a lot of different reasons. And it always sort of fascinated me because I would work somewhere, and, you know, within a, a year or so, I would inevitably get one of the better stations. I would be able to walk around and eat if I wanted to. I would get more leeway than other people would do and often make more money because of, of the fact that they would want to keep me there because I had earned my keep. I had walked through those stages of process. And it was sort of fascinating. It fascinated me how new people would start and you'd get these people that would be like, oh, how come he gets to walk around and eat? How come he gets the better station? You know, and I would just think to myself, You've been here for a month, and you're complaining that you're not, you don't have the same prestige, promotional energy as someone who's been here for a year or two. Jesus, what a bunch of nonsense in that sense. What an idiot in that respect. You have to earn your keep. You have to understand the cyclical movements that you move through. You don't jump to the front of the line immediately in that sense. So I think there's an energy of the farmer that really shows up in this uh, that, again, I think sometimes people could use a little more of this archetype in, in understanding that, the wisdom of, of that process. Um, you know, if you jump to the head of line, people uh, w will resent you. I, I think you know, that farmer energy is, is a little wiser that way in understanding cycles and timing and, and all of those things. So, again, really great um, archetypal card that I connect with. I've even, you know, people are often surprised because I can be very, very good with animals and children. But using animals as an example, two different commodities, of course, or types of beings. But, you know, even, you know, feral animals, um, I can often calm fairly after, after a time. But the thing of it is, is I never jump at them at any level. I take my time. There's a process in doing that. I've got a bunch of feral cats out front. Uh, they've been here for about eight years now. We've got them all fixed. We feed them. I've probably mentioned that in other shows. And, you know, out of all uh, of all these seven uh, feral cats, uh, I actually can pet uh, five of them. And, and some of them really specifically wait for me every day. And they wait for food, but a lot of times they wait for me to just sit with them and pet them. And some were easier to get that way. Others took a lot more time. Uh, six girls and one boy. And the boy, he waits for me almost every day, but he gets nervous and he runs away if I get too close to him. But over the last year or two, even with him, uh, he's, you know, he doesn't jump if I pet him on the head real quick. Or, But I never did that right away with him. I could tell that he was more skittish 
than, than some of the girl cats. Um, you know, I've got one or two of them that practically want to sit in my lap and rub up against me as well. But again, I always understood that patience of timing in, in that way. So again, that's a little bit of that farmer element uh, to, to look at. Um, then, of course, there's a scholar. This, of course, connects with winter. Um, when you can't do anything outside, you can study. You can always have that time to learn. Uh, another symbol I've always easily connected with, I, I do think of myself as a scholar. I was reading and studying and learning at a young age, and I love it, and I always still do, even though I'm probably more inclined to be a disseminator of information now than necessarily the absorber. But I had done years of that, and, and still to some extent do. Um, there is the wisdom in, in our culture of, of understanding the, the, the scholar. And, and, and praise of someone who's knowledgeable. And again, that, of course, fits perfectly with that ninth house of higher uh, education uh, and, 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 and philosophy and things of that nature. You know, you, you, you take your time to study and learn something. You know, the whole process of study itself is always interesting because, you know, I often say, and this is even a line from the, 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 the runes, from the Viking runestones, that often we are working to become what we already are. So when you go to school, of course, you're gathering knowledge. But, you know, often we have certain dispositions already that make us like school or want to learn or more predisposed to learning those things. So schooling helps us with information and learning and gathering knowledge, of course, and may give us degrees and various other things that we might need in society itself. But it's also the time that it takes to study and learn that we convince ourselves that we're knowledgeable enough. You know, many of my... Uh, listeners who might read their own cards or have an interest in doing that, again, really for the most part, there's a wisdom in study for a while before you you begin the process of dissemination to other people where you do feel knowledgeable to do so. And, and that's the patience that you can see also, again, with the scholar. Notice kind of a theme of, of patience at one level or another, in a lot of ways, to all of these archetypes. And the other thing about the scholar is, you know, it's mentioned about great reserves of energy stored waiting for the right time for appropriate dissemination. Um, you know, I've, I've joked about that as well, too. I'm, I'm a, a fairly big guy in terms of size. I'm a 210-pound, you know, uh, workout five days a week, half since I'm 17. I'm a big guy. I'm strong. I don't I wouldn't recommend most people try to fight with me, and, and thankfully most people don't, and I never look for it, and I'm a very peaceful person, but I have that physical strength in that sense to take care of myself, so no fear that way. But what I often joke about is where I'm even more confident is in my mouth and my words. I have tremendous amounts of information at my disposal that I've stored over the years. So when someone verbally fights with me or attempts to do that, you know, by and large, unless it's a subject I know nothing about, then I'll very humbly back down. Um, most of the time I'm going to win. You know, debating and things like that, I'm, I'm literally wired for. I know when to use that. So the joke I always say is what's more dangerous than my muscles is my mouth. And that says if somebody wants to push up against that button. I mean, the good news is I don't encounter those things. I never look for verbal or physical warfare. I'm, I'm just a very chill kind of a guy. I like having the reserves of power that I have. You know, I joke about that, too, uh, when people say, hey, help me move something. I'm always like, you know, 
no, this body wasn't, this muscular body wasn't designed to actually do anything. It's just for show and for power. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there is a silliness about that because, of course, I'm, I'm pretty strong. If I do help someone lift or do something, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But uh, there is something to be said for these reserves of power. Now, the reason I, I wrote this and what I want to get around to that I think is important is, you know, I like this about the, um, you know, this, the Chinese the Asian philosophy about this because in our culture, a lot of times we worship, you know, we worship celebrities, we worship sports people. Again, I mentioned that that there's a reason for that at multiple levels, but there is a simplistic wisdom in understanding. Um, these type of archetypes that you can bring into your daily life. You are easily going to connect with, with one or two, maybe more than another. But if you develop the abilities of the, of the fishermen, you learn how to work with others, you learn patience. Um, if you develop the abilities of the woodcutter, you learn how to chop away at something and not let something stop you in that respect. Um, if you work with the, um, with the farmer, you understand the process of, of cycles and timing and, and planting a seed in the crop and working toward goals and not rushing. And if you work with the archetype of scholar, when you want to be successful, you study, you learn, you gather knowledge, and then you potentially become more successful for that reason. So all of them have something to offer. And, and you can you know, use a bit of each. You can find yourself prioritizing one or two more than the other. But there's no question in my mind that these archetypes will help you in your day-to-day life uh, by being more peaceful and even potentially more successful. Okay, so that said, um, rapidly approaching the end of our our particular show here today. So I want to mention, I'll go a completely different direction here and quickly mention that this entire summer has been riddled with uh, uh, retrograde planets. Um, We've had Chiron retrograde, We've had uh, we have Uranus retrograde, we've had Pluto retrograde, we've Neptune retrograde, we've had a Mercury retrograde that we just came out of, we've had a Mars retrograde, which is less common. Um, we've had a number of retrogrades, anywhere from four to like six or seven at one point. So if this summer feels like a lot of reevaluation, a lot of re going over things, a lot of old issues and themes that you've been pondering through again, um, you're not crazy. If it was even a little bit of a pain in the ass at times, you're also not crazy. There's a certain energy of retrograde that can be uh, beneficial but can feel stagnant or, you know, again, like retreading ground almost in a way. So the one that I want to mention, uh, it's just a short amount of time to mention this, but very, very key. Since I think it was about mid to late June, Mars went retrograde um, in Aquarius, pushed its way back now into Capricorn, but much of the time was in Aquarius and we'll go direct again or move forward, so to speak, um, on August 27th. So that's actually coming up in a few days. It finally goes direct. The effect that you're going to have with the Mars retrograde is this. Mars rules male energy, assertiveness, aggressiveness, um, what we push for, where we're strong, where we're male, uh, you know, uh, all of those things are, are part of what Mars is about. So Mars in Aquarius A lot depends on where Aquarius is is in your natal chart. So if Aquarius is in your fifth house, it can have to do with your showmanship, your creativity. If it's in your fourth house, it can have to do with your family. If it's in your uh, career house, it can have to do again more with career, relationship. Depends what house it's in to get even more specific. That aside, there is one general theme that you see. One, Mars retrograde can make you kind of go through this process where 
you're like one day you're just pissed off or you're angry or you find yourself really reevaluating how easily you're triggered by other people's situations and things. Um, it can redirect your drive or get you to want to redirect your drive and your ambition. And, and even again, sometimes anger and, and assertiveness and that aggressive energy. In the same day or the next day, you can also have days where you just don't even want to get out of bed, where you just don't care, where you just don't have any energy, you just don't even want to try. Um, this is what a Mars retrograde will do. They only happen about every two years, but they typically are for about, you know, three months or so. So they're notable when they happen. This particular one with Aquarius, again, pushing its way back to Capricorn for the end of it, um, and then eventually moving forward again in Aquarius. What most of you are going to have gone through at a base level is a process of reevaluating your goals, your hopes and dreams, your friendships, the associations of the people around you. Now, on the negative side, you may have some stuff with your friends, with your social circle, with the groups of people around you. You may have some frustration around that. You may feel thwarted in some ways from going after your goals or not even be sure what they are at different points. You know, on the flip side, it can also reignite your sense of really getting in touch with what your unique goals are in relation to other people in the world around you and reevaluating your friendships and, and looking at what type of people and energies you want to surround yourself with, and, and what ultimately makes you tick. You know, one of the things that I caught this summer for, for my Mars and Aquarius retrograde, and I'll use this as a quick example, was I, you know, I, I typically am a little less busy um, in the summers. Uh, I was definitely noticed that when I was a waiter. I noticed it somewhat in general in the summer, not to the degree I did as a waiter, but that this slows down a little. So usually I could put a little bit more energy into marketing, my business, and things like that. I'm not a waiter anymore, just this is my primary business. But this summer I decided that I just wasn't going to knock myself out with marketing. I was going to be a little slower and more frugal financially. And I just, you know, I, I, I figured out, I took a little bit of an equity line to fix up my home, give pad my bank account a little bit. My credit is in good shape in that way, so I, I thought... Uh, it would be okay to do that. I'm very glad that I did it. So I've kind of had this sort of easier summer without having to worry about money and finances as much. And I've taken a, a, a bit more vacation than I normally do. And in that entire process, what I realized is that actually that's how I want to be for the rest of my life. I don't want to work that much. Um, I don't think I ever really did. And it's absolutely not an issue of not wanting to work at all. Because I love working. I love the work that I do. I like writing. I like counseling people. I love all of those things. But really, honestly, if I look at my wiring and who I am and the fact that I'm 53 on top of it, I really only want to work maybe 20 hours a week, maybe 25 tops, and then I want to take more vacations. Um, I enjoy it. I feel comfortable doing that. Um, I also decided that I don't want to have financial issues in the future. I just want to manifest a nice chunk of comfortable money to draw from, and then I'll continue to work. And if I have a lot of extra money and I don't need the money, I will still probably uh, charge for the sessions that I do, but the money potentially will probably go to Animal Welfare Society, Humane Society. Um, I'd like to eventually maybe get to a point where I open one of those myself and, and, and use some of that money for that down the line. Maybe that's something for my later 50s or early 60s. And so I don't have a clue as exactly how I'm going to get to that goal, but I sure as hell know I will because I've decided I will. 
And it's just that realization of what was right for me, what made me tick. So I use that little personal example there. I like all the you're thinking about what yours is because it's going to be unique to you. And that's what this retrograde was about. Get away from getting pissed off and irritated and unmotivated and too motivated. Step away from that. What makes you tick? What is it that you do? What kind of people do you want to be around? What, what, is, what is your vibe like? And that's what the purpose of a Mars retrograde, certainly in Aquarius, is. Okay. So looks like we're out of time. If you're not already getting my monthly newsletter mailing list, email me at VenturaStrategy.com. I'll add you to the mailing list. It, it's not really monthly. It's about <laughs> 10 months a year. I include your birthday so I can get you on the birthday mailer. Uh, it's blind copy. No one will ever get your email address from me, and you'll be able to get my columns free. There's no charge for this, um, and there's no extra promotional stuff. You will never get tortured. It, it's at best once a month. Um, information about sessions, go to jimventura.com. Uh, sessions can be in office here in Phoenix, but, of course, I do many of my sessions by phone, even possibly FaceTime if you have an iPhone, if you prefer that, but the phone does work well. So all that good information is there, books, all the other stuff I got, jimventura.com. I will be back again next month for another show. Glad I got some of the astrology information in. Wishing everyone the happy start to the fall. I know I'm jumping ahead because it's not quite fall, but I am kind of, I love fall, so goodbye. Goodbye, summer. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for joining me today. Cheers.